took a little break for Passion Week. Now we're back, making our way through the Old Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're going to pick up right where we left off. And put your finger there, because you know I'll eventually get there. Now, Father, as we turn our hearts toward heaven, to hear from you through your supernatural word, speak to our hearts. We know you have something for everybody here, or you wouldn't have brought us together. So make it worth our while, Lord. Help us to cooperate with your spirit, to do our part, so that we could be blessed by your truth. Jesus said, "If the truth will make our hearts free, and that's what we're looking for tonight. Amen. The only glimpse we get of Jesus in his early years, prior to age 30, there's only really one glimpse, He's 12 years old, and you know the story there in Luke chapter 2. It's a delightful story where Joseph and Mary have misplaced the Messiah. They cannot find him. They leave Jerusalem. I mean, really, folks, it's one thing to misplace your car keys, but when you can't find the Son of God and he's been given to you to watch over, it's a little disconcerting, to say the least. But when they do finally catch up two days later. I don't know where they were looking for him, but uh, they did finally think perhaps he would be at the temple. And so he went there, they went there rather, and he was there. And his words resonate with us today. How could you do this to us, son? And he said, didn't you realize I'd be about my father's business? Very famous words indeed, he's saying, wouldn't it be obvious that I'd be here at the center of our religious life about my father's business? Now, that's a good way to think of our Christian life, isn't it? Being about my father's business. It's no longer my life. I've become born again from above, not to do my own will or have my own agenda, but to follow God's will to do his business. Now, the church is also about this business, and this business takes place in a world that's contrary to God and at odds with him. The world in the Bible, the cultural values which are um, anti-Christ and anti-God and anti-his word, that culture really is called God's enemy in the Bible. We do business, the Father's business, in a world that's unbelieving, idolatrous, sinful, immoral, rebellious, shoulder to shoulder with this kind of sinning where we are inextricably entangled, at least physically, with them and this sinful world. And so here in Numbers 31... Israel's taking care of Yahweh's business, God the Father's business. And the kingdom of God is advancing, and the Lord has used Israel to bring, you recall, swift destruction and judgment upon those vile, murderous Midianites, God's enemies. And we saw last week the truth of Hebrews 10, verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
And we saw that last time we studied Numbers 31. But it was God's business, and now they're moving on. But they're left with what's called plunder. They're left with the Midianites' homes and their valuables and their uh, chariots and their cookware and their livestock and their jewels. What to do with them? What to do with the women who will become servants? What to do with the plunder? What to do with God's increase to the promised people, the chosen people, going to the promised land? God's blessing. God gives you gain. There are protocols in this sinful world. And as God increases us with worldly goods on our way to the promised land, how to maintain two words in Numbers 31 as we finish up the chapter. Two words. While we are being increased with worldly wealth and worldly things, we keep an eye on two words, purity and graciousness. Now, I'm sure when you read the chapter, you could come up with similar words, but the words that stand out to me are purity and graciousness. Watch out for spiritual defilement with the purity and graciousness. Watch out for self-absorbed living. These are two ideas that as the Lord causes you to expand in honor and, and uh, increase in goods and prominence in this worldly life, those are the two things. What are they? Purity and graciousness. All right, verse 19 to 24, first, for the purity part. Taking care of business in a sinful world. Now, all of you who have killed anyone, now they've just been instruments of God's terrible wrath, and the Midianites uh, have been killed. And now this is where we pick up. All of you have killed one of those Midianites or touched anyone who is killed, <clears throat> who was killed, must stay outside the camp seven days because they've become unclean, ceremonially speaking. On the third and seventh days, you must purify yourselves and your captives, purify every garment as well as everything made of leather, goat hair, or wood. These are the things that the Midianites left and now what they were using in their pagan lifestyle, the Christians, <clears throat> let's call them Christians, believers, God's people, will now use those things. But he says, first, they must be purified. Moving on to verse 21. Then Eleazar, the priest, said to the soldiers who had gone into battle, this is the requirement of the law that the Lord gave Moses, gold, silver, bronze, Iron, tin, lead, and anything else that can withstand fire must be put through the fire, and then it will be cleaned. But it also, but it must also be purified with the water of cleansing. And whatever cannot withstand fire must be put through that water. On the seventh day, wash your clothes and you will be clean. Then you may come into the camp. All right, so Roman numeral number one, purity, stay clean in doing battle in this world. And the Lord calls us in the New Testament by metaphor of soldiers doing battle for him, all Christians. And as you are battling in this life through this world, the Lord's warriors must be clean 
in that shoulder-to-shoulder, man-to-man, woman-to-woman combat with the things of this life, we must watch out for spiritual defilement. The Lord wants his people to understand that there's a potential in this world as we advance in God's work to become defiled because it's everywhere. So he says you'll, it's a danger. Now, he wants you to realize that infection and contamination will kill you just as good as a sword. That the enemy in this chapter is invisible uncleanness as well as the physical visible Midianite with the sword. And now, in the aftermath, he's saying, I hate to say this, but there's spiritual cooties around, and he wants them to understand that there is a way to conduct yourself with the things of this world and the people of this world in the battle of the gospel. Now, Uh, James chapter 1, and we're headed there really fast. Verse 27, James says, you want to know what the true essence of Christianity is? If I could boil it down to one thing, I would say it's keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. He said, that's what true religion is all about. Because if you become defiled or polluted by the world, what do you have? That's why James is quick to say, you know, if I boiled it down to one thing, it would be keep yourself from being polluted. Because once you're polluted, you can die. Honestly. Waterborne illnesses from dirty water. Are there dozens of diseases that'll kill you? Cholera, typhoid, dysentery, hepatitis. Just off the top of my head from ingesting dirty water. And now this is really the undercurrent of this chapter. You've wiped them out. They're not there. They're gone. And now I want you to be very careful that you don't get polluted. Why? Because I care about you, not because I want to stop you from enjoying yourself like the devil told Eve. He's got a pleasurable thing that he's keeping from you when the Bible says, no good thing will I withhold from them who fear me. That's the truth. We think he's trying to to stop us from uh, finding ourselves. And he's saying, "I'm, I'm trying to stop you from destroying yourself. So there were protocols in place here when they're doing spiritual battle. Now, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Just love the old version, the 1950s version, where a great scene, Peter must square off with one of the white witch's snarling demon wolves. It's a fight to the death, and everybody's gathered around, and you you probably know the scene where that snarling wolf and Peter are going round and round, and Peter's got the sword, and they are wrestling, And uh, suddenly, Peter puts the sword right through him, and the wolf dies. And he pulls the sword up, and everybody's cheering. But Aslan, Aslan says, "Son son of man, son of Adam, look at your sword. Clean your sword. 
and then hand it to me and kneel before me. And then he says, but don't you ever forget to clean your sword. This is inspiration from the Holy Spirit to C.S. Lewis because it's this very scene. They have committed uh, these wars here. They've committed themselves to war, holy war that God had called them to. And they had swords and now, now they have to watch out for defilement. Things have to be ceremonially cleansed. And so um, now this idea here, verse 19, those warriors who actually were involved in the mortal combat or touched a dead body must be separated for a week. They have become unclean. Now, you know, I think one reason besides the fact that they touched a dead body, and the Lord wanted Israel to see anything associated with Genesis chapter 3, like death, would make them unclean. But I think, moreover, that separating the soldiers who had to kill the Midianites was a time of sober reflection, that they had to, to not rejoice. They had to get their hearts and their minds right after such a horrendous chapter in their lives. And horrendous chapter, quite literally. Now, Genesis 9 and verse 6 and Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7, tell us that the Lord has given governments the power to execute criminals. And we are not to rejoice in that. So I think that one of the reasons these soldiers are separated for a week is to get their minds and their hearts right with the Lord for sober reflection. This was a grievous time. It wasn't a a time to party and to celebrate. It was one of the darkest chapters in the Old Testament. And he says, separate yourselves. And there's grieving and mourning for the terrible heartache that sin has brought to this earth. And don't you think it was like that in God's heart? You know, in uh, Ezekiel 18.32, he says, I don't take any pleasure in the death or demise of wicked people. He says, turn from your wicked ways and live. If God doesn't rejoice when the bad guy gets it, neither should we. So when the Saddam Husseins get wrenched out of their little, dirty, dark dens which they hide in, which happened to him, and they pull him out and they hang him by the gallows, it's a time for sober reflection, not for quipping or joking around. That's what's going on here. Now, you know, we talked about this last week. The New Testament tells us very clearly that there is no mandate for holy wars by the church. We have a spiritual enemy, Ephesians 6. And our weapons that we use are spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Those are the two references. Spiritual enemies, spiritual weapons. The only sword that we use to advance the cause of Christ is the sword of the Spirit. And I mentioned that last time. So they're separated. They're getting their their hearts and their minds right. They're praying. They're being cleansed from that terrible scene. And uh, what about the stuff now? 
So they're separated. The stuff is left. Now, the Midianites left behind these things. Uh, They're called spoils. Now, goods or property seized, especially after a military victory, is called spoils or plunder or prey. And so verses 20 to 23 says that these spoils are soiled and they'll need to be cleansed too. So very, very interesting that they need to be cleansed. So, in short, here's the paraphrase, the things that formerly belonged to my enemies and were used for ungodly purposes must be purified, says the Lord. Put it through the fire, the precious metals, their gold, their silver, the bronze, as well as the tin and the lead, anything that can take the heat, pass it through the flame and it'll be clean. If it can't stand the fire, then wash it with holy water, the leather, the wool, the garments, anything made of wood. Purify it with the water of cleansing, and in this way, their stuff will be usable to you once again. Very interesting. Now, great quote here. The Christian's acquisition of the world's goods must happen with a cautious eye toward holiness. If we are to use the world's goods and be in relationship with its peoples, holy caution is advised. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 says, Since you're going to stand before God at the end of all of this, you should live this life like it's not your home, like you don't belong here. And this we do with reverent fear. And so this is the idea here. Now, what are we talking about? Maybe money. We use the world's money. The Bible calls it unrighteous King James mammon. Well, we got to watch out when we use money so that we don't love it, but that we have one master who is God, not money the root of all evil, to love it above God. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving it have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Houses. He says, Christian, God's got a house for you. There's no problem having a nice, comfortable house. But as long as you know in your heart that that's not the goal of this life is to invest, invest, invest in your house. Because, Christian, you are to act like a foreigner here. It's not wrong to own a home. It's not wrong to own many homes. Many, and it's not wrong to be rich. It's a question of using the world's things in a way that advances the gospel, draws people to him, protects your own heart, your own family, leaves a legacy where people love the Lord. Cars, a reliable way to get around, not an idol or status symbol. Honestly, jewelry to adorn not to adore. Music, the world's music. You know, when we let them sing us 
some songs, and we do, and I do, the moment they defile you, the moment they are in uh, disagreement with God and, and holiness and godliness and what's right, that's, that's the time you can be defiled by all of these things. And he says, okay, you're going to inherit all this stuff. Now it needs to be purified. Because if you go in there with the wrong attitude, you're going to get entangled. You're going to get defiled. You're going to become sick. It goes on and on. Clothing. He says, you're going to have to wash those clothes. What The idea there is watch out for clothes. You know, Is it a fashion statement or is it something that's covering you and comfortable and looks nice and is modest? Isn't that what clothing is supposed to be? Not clothing to, to reveal. <laughs> that's not why you clothe something. You clothe something to, to cover it, right? But I, I don't, yeah, never mind. Name brands. Name brands for quality and reliability. Buying it because it's well-made, not so people know you're (laughs) well-paid. I made that one up. Entertainment. He said, look, look, folks, I'm going to let some of the Midianites entertain you. In fact, they're mostly all entertainers, are Midianites. And you're going to go watch them act, and you're going to watch them sing, and they're going to make you laugh. Your whole life will be entertained by the Midianites. So you're going to have to be very careful, because you know what? They're Midianites. And you're laughing with them. And you're paying to support them. Watch yourself. Not wrong. The call that I feel in this chapter is watch yourself. Psalm 101, verse 3. I will set no vile thing before my eyes. Because why? You ingest through your eyes. You ingest through your ears. There's lots of ways that that happens. Well, it goes on and on and on, from sex to food to job promotions, all of that. He says, watch out. Paul, the apostle, the time that remains is very short, so from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who buy things should not be absorbed in their possessions Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. So by and large, it's their stuff, so don't let it defile you. Even ministry efforts, he says, hey, Jude, verse 23, snatch people out of the fire of hell, hating the very garment that is stained by the carnal nature a better translation snatch lost people out of the fires of hell hating even their clothes stained by the corrupted flesh the sins that contaminate their lives so even in ministry 
when you're dealing shoulder to shoulder and you're saving somebody and they're, they're involved in drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality and just shoulder to shoulder, you say, look, you save the person, but even just watch out how... Now, he's not talking literally about their dirty clothes. He's talking there's something about saving a Midianite who's becoming a Christian. Watch out even in your holiest moments of victory where you get entangled. And before you know it, you're defiled. Now, what do we have to do then? Do we have to get the anointing oil out and holy water and, and go get a flamethrower to all of this stuff? No. In our case, the spiritual application of this chapter, really these verses, is not the items that need water and fire, but it's the heart of the Christian. What did John the Baptist say? Water of cleansing and baptism. But somebody's coming. I'm not fit to shine his shoes. However, when he comes, he will fall the fire on you. Water, fire, cleansing, purifying. The ministry of God in our hearts and lives to cleanse us. And it's when your heart has the cleansing water and the fire of the Holy Spirit that now your hands are able to to rightly and appropriately and with godliness handle the things of the Midianites. It's not the money, it's not the jewelry, it's not the house or the car or the clothes. They are morally neutral. It's the heart, you see? And so the spiritual fulfillment of these verses in the New Testament is to have your heart and your mind transformed through the cleansing and the refining fire of the Holy Spirit. That's his ministry. The water of cleansing the word reading your bible ephesians chapter 5:26 the hope of heaven purifies you when you start thinking i'm going to see jesus he's coming back i'm going to make a decision in light of that that brings pure purity first john chapter 3 verse 3 christian fellowship also if we claim to have fellowship with god yet walk in darkness we lie and we do not live by the truth Now, here's the verse. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So it's not that, you know, I get the holy water and I put it over all my money, and now the money is clean. No. (laughs) I read the Bible, and my heart gets clean, and then I know how to handle the money. You see? I've got a few amens right there. Thank you. The fire of purification. We pass not the stuff through the fire, but our lives. Job said, he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come out of this tried and pure as gold. When Peter was wrestling that devil wolf, he's being tested and tried. The fire as you deny yourself daily and pick up your cross and follow Christ, the fire of God, you walk through the valley of the shadow of 
death and rightly respond to these kinds of challenges in your life, testing, trials, temptations, you're being purified. That's what the Bible teaches. And so the hearts are washed by his word. Our hearts are fired in God's kiln and consciences sprinkled by his blood. Now we know exactly how to use the Midianites' material goods. And so, moving on here, the second and last point, and I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter and make a couple comments. Um, When advancing through this life, we remember purity, okay? Now, when advancing through and God adds these spoils to our lives, these blessings, uh, we remember to be gracious and generous, All right, here we go, 25 to the end of the chapter. The Lord said to Moses, You and Eleazar, the priest, and the family heads of the community are to count all the people and animals that were captured. Divide the spoils between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. From the soldiers who fought in the battle, set apart a tribute as tribute for the Lord, one out of every five soldiers. Soldiers who fought in the battle. Did I skip a line? All right. Verse 28. From the soldiers who fought in the battle, set apart as tribute for the Lord, one out of every 500, whether persons, cattle, donkeys, sheep, or goats. Take this tribute from their half share and give it to Eliezer, the priest, as the Lord's part. From the Israelites' half, select one Out of every 50, whether persons, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, or other animals, give them to the Levites who are responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. So Moses and Eleazar, the priests, did as the Lord commanded Moses. The plunder remaining from the spoils that the soldiers took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, 32,000 women who had never slept with a man. Those are the ones who were not the shrine prostitutes, they were allowed to live. The half share of those who fought in the battle was 337,500 sheep, of which the tribute for the Lord was 675, 36,000 cattle, the tribute 72, 30,500 donkeys, the tribute for the Lord 61, 16,000 people, of which the tribes for the Lord was 32. Moses gave the tribute to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part as the Lord commanded Moses the half belonging to the now by the way the book of numbers really delights in lists and uh, they're numbering not only people but things like this and that's where you get the name numbers does that help you (laughs) all right 42 The half belonging to the Israelites, which Moses set apart from that of the fighting men, the community's half, was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 people. From the Israelites' half, Moses selected one out of every 50 persons and animals, as the Lord commanded him, and gave them to the Levites who were responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. Then the officers who were over the units of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, went to Moses and said to him, Your servants have counted the soldiers under our command, and not one is missing. 
12,000 of them fought. So we have brought as an offering to the Lord the gold articles each of us acquired, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. I'm going to explain what that means. Verse 51, and to the end, Moses and Eleazar, the priest, accepted from them the gold, all the crafted articles. All the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that Moses and Eleazar presented as a gift to the Lord weighed 16,750 shekels. I believe I read four, uh, four or five million dollars today. Each soldier had taken plunder for himself. Moses and Eleazar, the priest, accepted the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and brought it to the tent of meeting as a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord. <clears throat> well, we're done with chapter 31. Now that, now that it's going to be properly used in a good, clean, and holy ways, all of this material now, the Lord says, here's what you do with these goods. You share them. Sharing. That's the essence, to have a generous and grateful heart. It's divided up three ways, the Lord says. Number one, the soldiers who were on the front line, they get half of the plunder. The folks who remained home, the guys who couldn't go, they got just less than half. And then there was this tribute to the Lord. Both groups gave a 2% uh, offering or tribute, it's a more like a tax, to the temple, to the tabernacle, I should say, to God who made it um, possible. Remarkably small amount that the Lord said, hey, and 2%, would you remember just to say, hey, thanks, Lord, for doing all of that? Um, now, it, it's really all about being gracious. And it makes sense that the frontline guys got the biggest amount of the share, not by much over the rest of the congregation, but the guys who did the Navy SEAL kind of thing, you know, uh, in Hebrew, they're called the skilled ones for battle, the skilled ones. You know, God has common sense, too. You know, he said these guys risk their lives. They get a little bit more. And then secondly, uh, not everyone could be on the front lines. And God is saying, everybody in my family, in the congregation, are important. They have a part to play. So you are going to come back, and you're not going to have the attitude of, you. where were you out on the front lines? Why aren't you up on the platform? Where were you in the Sunday school? Where were you? Can we see your tithing record? No. Not like that. You're a part of the body that God has put you in. He says that the victory is to be shared, no matter who you are. So maybe a little bit more honor for those who have fought on the front lines, but he recognizes it's a pretty important task to have remained behind the supply lines and taking care of business at home with the, with the wife and the, and the children, the wives and the kids. And then that tribute to God, you know, and the women, the women were given over to the priests to do, um, to help with the tasks in the temple, tabernacle, and uh, Lord willing, they became uh, believers in Yahweh, the living God. Now, let's close on a happy note. 
Now, here they are. They've done that. They've split everything. They're just, the numbers are staggering. That's why they're listed there. And so they're dividing it out. And the commanders now have finished taking role to find out how did we do? Who did we lose? What widows do we have to, to take care of? And what, lo and behold, they all get together and they say, well, check, 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 check. Uh, we didn't lose one man in the battle. Now, they come and they say that. And they say, you know, we added it all up. We brought these treasures to the Lord. 2% my foot, please. It just started to hit us. It started to sink into our hearts. First of all, a few chapters ago, we were, doing, we were worshiping in their shrines. We incurred the wrath of God just so we were doing the same thing the Midianites do, only we got grace and favor, and he, he allowed us to win the battle. There but the grace of God go I with these Midianites. And so they realize, look what God did. Look at all the blessings he gave us. Not one man died in all of that. And we should have died. We're no better. Are we any better than the Midianites? We had a drunken party with their shrine prostitutes and we worshiped Baal with them. And Christians, we do the same things they do. And God says, but this one is called mine. This one is called mine. This one shall wear a crown. This one shall reign and rule with me forever and ever and ever. But, 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 but. <laughs> he worshiped, she worshiped at the Baal shrine. Mercy, grace. And then it's no longer a duty of 2% or 10% or 9%. It's my word. Mo- Moses, we get it. Look what God has done for us. We, we're opening our hearts. We're giving. We want to give back to the Lord. We want to say thank you. Now, by the way, it's always the case that God will not lose one. That's kind of a little foreshadow of the end where Jesus said, you know, this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up on the last day. Every one of us will be saved who's a child of God. He won't lose one. He said, I came to do the will, and here's the will that I lose not one. And so when the roll call, it, it goes and y- up and yonder, however that hymn goes. When the roll call, thank you. Not only will I be there, but you will be there, and not one will be missing. And that's why the crowns go off our heads and at the feet of Jesus. Because it's all about him. So they say, we brought all this to make amends, to make atonement. Well, nobody can buy atonement or give back to God to make atonement. That's only what he gives to us, not what we give. They're saying, may this love from our hearts really kind of cover things over. From the last few chapters, what's gone on here. 
May this make amends. May we just show, look, God, we are so grateful. And we're not just talking about money. We're talking about the way we live our lives and treat other people. Our time, our our resources, how we live, how we speak, how we think. To say, Lord, you've touched, you've, you've been so good to me, and now I give back to you. Think about it, and you'll open up your heart with treasures. You're honored, the honor of being called God's child, to have his favor, complete forgiveness, a lifetime of sinning, unconditional love, mercy that keeps renewing itself, grace upon grace upon grace, countless promises and privileges, gifts, abilities, blessings, his presence to indwell your heart and my heart, a a direct line to the throne room of God, everything we need for life and godliness, comfort in our sorrows, grace in our struggles, strength in our weakness, forgiveness in our failures, a pass out of hell, the pin code to the gates of eternal life, and then reigning and ruling with Christ. And why? Because we said yes. We were the Midianites who said, you know what? I think I like your deal better. That's it. The only difference between me and a murderous Midianite is that I said, yes, God. Now, in light of all of that, as we don't forget the Lord's benefits, then you bring the treasures. But if you're not remembering, you don't bring anything. You can barely make the duty. Remember, don't forget. Think and meditate on all of these things and the storehouse of your life. What you can do and become and do for him and his kingdom will come to life because you can't outgive him. Think about what he's done for us and you'll do great things for him. Let's pray. Father God, it really, honestly, it's not mine, mine, mine. It's thine, thine, thine. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, Father, help us as we advance and you bless us with relationships and material goods in this world that we be very careful to keep our lives pure and to be gracious as you bless us and as we do your work and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song.
So how are you doing with purity and graciousness? So the Lord is increasing you and helping you and blessing you. How are those two things going in your life? Spiritual defilement is a real problem with God's people in this sick world. If you find yourself defiled and you're feeling woozy and nauseous and you got a fever, it's so easy to get right. You just ask the Lord for his help and his blessing. Immediately, he'll hook you up with antibiotics, the whole thing. It's right there. You just turn to him and say, I recognize this. I confess this. Help me. One way to help when you get a little entangled and you need some help in that struggle is prayer from others. He said, confess your faults to one another that you might be made well, you see. So we have folks who are going to be over there uh, available by the cross. So um, we're going to just speak lightly and just let some folks go over and have some prayer. If you need prayer, just go over and pour your heart out. And they'll, they'll pray for you. There are women and men. And uh, that, that's an awesome thing to have at your disposal. Take advantage of that. Now, Father God, as we just all confess our sins before you, Lord, and, and entanglements of things we know about and don't even know about, reveal even the, our hidden faults that we might make those right before you. But, Father, keep us pure, <laughs> as we do these things that you've given us to keep us from becoming sick and defiled and keep us gracious, Lord, in our hearts to be giving, to be gracious with our time and our, our resources and our relationships. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Amanda's going to sing another song there, but uh, you're, you're free to go and receive prayer as well. God bless. You can dim a couple of those lights.